I want to start off by thanking everyone here. Uh, you guys are our family. And um, this year, it's a little different than last year uh, because we're on a different side of victory this year. Yeah. Amen. I know you guys have been praying and supporting us. And actually, I'm up here with these because now my wife is seeing better than I am. So don't stop praying. Just mention my name in my eyes. We're truly thankful. We're truly thankful. I want to share basically just personally what's been going on with us and our Heavenly Father. Amen. With my family. It's a big family. It doesn't matter which church you're from, it, you all feel like family. Amen. Even if I don't know your name, you feel like family to me. But I think I know just about everyone's name because I can read. <laughs> you know, this year... I began to see something uh, about the, the character and the love of my Heavenly Father. Amen. You know, there's two uh, relationships that we find in the Newer Testament. There's, there's several different relationships, but the ones that are based off of love that we find is one, a husband for his bride, and another is a father and the love he has for his son. And this is just who God is. He didn't watch a movie on Netflix and say, wow, I wish I had that. <laughs> this was in him before creation. This is who he is. And tonight I want to talk about sons. And I know we have a bunch of ladies in the room, but if I can be a bride, amen, you can be sons, amen, amen. So I'm not going to play the political game of sons and daughters. We're going to talk about sons tonight, amen, because I, I, I'm delighted to be his bride, and so you can delight in being his sons. Amen. And maybe, and maybe you have a, a neutered translation. But we're going to use the translations that calls us sons. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start in Malachi. Amen. This, this is the last word to God's people about what he is going to do. This is it. 
P.S. This is what this is the last bit of his letter to his people. We're going to look at Malachi chapter four, and we're going to read. <clears throat> Let me put my glasses on so I can read. Yes, I feel old. We're going to go to Malachi chapter four. Let me get there. I have it. And we're going to read 5 and 6. Sons! Barnabas! Hey. Actually, we're going to read 6. But I want to, I want to uh, say something. Pastor Eric Stevens is absolutely right. Tonight, when we say disciples, you hear son. When you hear sons, you hear disciple. When you hear discipleship, you hear sonship. And when you hear sonship, you think discipleship. There is no difference. Verse 6, it says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. This is Elijah will. And he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. I know it goes on, but whose heart gets dealt with first? And when I began to look at this and read this, this is through experience. Because I thought I was a good father. But God had to begin to turn my heart towards my children. If you want to know what I've been doing in Indonesia for the last three years, a lot of repentance. A lot. A lot. I've had to repent from being a deadbeat dad, disconnected, letting Teresa handle everything. I've had to uh, repent from being a deadbeat husband, making my wife follow me because I said so without the nurturing. And not since I've been in Indonesia, I've been repenting for the last 18 years. <laughs> or 17 years before we got to Indonesia. I'm getting it right now. Amen. Amen. Because the Lord is turning my heart to my children. Because I can't raise up spiritual sons or disciples any better than I'm raising up my own children. I didn't realize for him to turn your heart to your children, that means it's somewhere else. It's usually on our own selves. You know, we want great careers. We want to provide for our families at a high level. Why? So we can feel good about what kind of father we are. And so we work hard to provide our kids with every electronic, with everything they desire. But our hearts aren't towards our children. They're really towards us. And I started out discipling the same way. I want to make disciples. I want to do all these things. But really, it was about pride in my heart. It was really about me. My heart wasn't turned 
towards them. And so for three years, the Lord has been turning my heart to my children and the disciples because I really don't see them any different than my own children. And their heart will respond to what God is doing in my heart. How many of you have done uh, the marriage counseling? Oh, wow. If you haven't, get in line because it's worth it. It all starts with the Father, and it flows down. The flow of shalom, the flow of love. It comes from God to the Father, to the wife, and the children. God wants to deal with our hearts as fathers so the children can respond to what God's doing in our hearts. The top-down flow. Because when you become a father... It's not about you. It no longer became about me. It no longer became about my ministry. It no longer became anything about me because it became about them. And our theme this year, that's exactly what we're trying to say in that theme. It's not about you. It's about them. Just give me a moment to build on this. We're going to look at some scripture. But before we do, I want to um, look, just move to the side and look at God's word from a different angle tonight. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything new, nothing extremely profound. But I want to look at his word tonight. As fathers and sons, and understand this was what was in Our Father's heart, God's heart, before he created anything, he was looking for sons. Where you at, Nick? Well, yeah, we got a bunch of Nicks. You got a son. Men? Yeah! We rejoice. It doesn't make you love your daughter any less. Why? Because she's going to marry a son. Amen? Hey, that's how. Just not his son. Amen? You see, until we see our Heavenly Father correctly, we can't see ourselves correctly as sons. Because I began to understand what a father was when I began to understand that I am a son. I'm used to preaching with an interpreter, so if I pause a little while, it's just the rhythm that is stamped in my brain. It is good not to have an interpreter. I want to start off by saying this relationship is exclusive. This was always in our Heavenly Father's heart to have an exclusive relationship between a father and a son. And he made a promise to a people called Israel because his desire is that they would be sons. 
And he was a father to them, and they are his son. He called them his son. They just haven't realized it yet that they're sons. Because it was hidden from them. It was hidden until the son manifested. What God was after was hidden until the son, Jesus, was made manifest. And you know, God knew it was such a great thing. You know, when I buy my wife a gift, I'm the worst at keeping secrets. I just start dropping hints. I tell her, oh, you're, you're really going to love what I got you. What, I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you that um, it doesn't fit in a box. Because I want to give it to her so bad. I want to give it to her more than she wants it. Okay, now. Amen. Did the AC break? It's hot in here. It's hot. Hey, we're talking about two relationships, sons and brides. And that's my beautiful bride back there. Amen. Amen. But, but our Heavenly Father was waiting so patiently that he began to drop hints over and over and over. I'd been knowing that I'm a son of God but not really knowing because I I wasn't getting a true revelation of my heavenly father and I'm going to explain that a little bit. Just recently, about three weeks ago, um, we actually weren't supposed to even be here. Uh, Indonesia did not approve our visas. They held our passports and we're not going to let us leave the country. They said, if you leave, you can't come back. And so uh, a a three-week process has now gone on three months, and it's in limbo, and nobody knows why. No one can give us answers. Uh, But they did say that if we paid them $2,500, they could speed up the process. That's how it works in Indonesia. Uh, and so we, we gathered together because they said, if you paid us $2,500, we could get you your passports on Wednesday. I said, well, that doesn't work. My plane leaves on Monday. So that's not going to help me out a whole lot. And so we came home and we began to pray as a team. And uh, I said, guys, we've been here many times. They're telling us it's not possible. But I just, I, I, know, I know it's possible. I know I'm supposed to be there. And after we had prayed, one of our disciples came up to me and she said, Puck Brent. That's what they call me, Puck Brent. (laughs) Puck is just mister. She said, how do you know that God doesn't want you to go to America and that he's doing this? I said, well, you got a good point. I said, but why don't you take the word God out and put my heavenly father? Let's look at this. How do I know it's not my heavenly father doing this? I said, if a father has a son and he doesn't want him to go somewhere, he doesn't sneak out at night, 
take the spark plugs out of his truck, take all the air out of his tires to prevent him from doing something. But if you look at God, not as your father, you're not sure if God is doing this, if the enemy is doing this. We have to learn the heart and the nature of our heavenly father. I told her, I said, I'm a son. And I hope I'm an obedient son to whether if he didn't want me to go, he just has to tell me. And I haven't heard a thing. I told her, I'm going. I'm going. I'm packing my bags and I'm going. And she says, I want to see this. (laughs) This was on Wednesday. We have to leave on Monday. Uh, We show up on Friday. I'm talking to the head of uh, immigration. And I tell him, look, you don't understand. I'm leaving on Monday. So I'm going to need my passports. And um, he said, I think, I believe we can do it. I believe we can do it. If you come on Monday, we'll have them for you. I said, finally, something I want to hear. But Indonesia is famous for saying, come back on Monday. You're going to have them? Because they never tell you anything negative. So I'm still praying, oh, Lord, I know what he told me. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be there. And uh, to make a long story short, well, well, you know how the story went. I'm standing here. <laughs> I picked up our passports just hours before I got on a plane. Amen. Amen. Be- because, not because we have great faith. Don't ever think the Vincents have great faith. We have a great Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. And I'm still learning who He is by learning who I am as a son. That's why Jesus came to show us what a son was and to show us who the father is. That's how he could say, Thomas, haven't you seen me all this time and you're asking me to show you the father? Look at me. You ought to be able to see your heavenly father by who I am. Because it's an exclusive relationship. Look, I called him God for a long time. And, you know, when I pray, I still pray, God. But I usually find out that when I'm in need, oh, Father, Heavenly Father. And I've been in that place many times in Indonesia. Many times. That's how I learned that he's my father. I told her, I said, uh, one of our disciples, I said, you know what? You have to stop looking at him as some far off God. You got to know him as your father. That was what Jesus was preaching his disciples. When you pray, pray. He didn't say, oh, you far distant great God. He said, our father. When I call him father, I now get a revelation of who I am in him as a son. See, we have this Christian platitude. Christianity is different. We have a personal relationship with God. What's the relationship? Sonship. You're a son. That is your personal relationship with God. 
That's what he was desiring from the beginning of creation, to bring forth sons. And it's still his desire. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 6. Well, let's look at the, if what I'm saying is in our scriptures. Amen. All right. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons... How? God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who cries out, some of your translations is Abba, some of its father. What this scripture is saying is, God put the spirit of his son in you. So when that spirit cries out, it cries out, Father! I need you. There's two types of sons, and I was the wrong one for a long time. The son who gets in trouble and says, man, my father's going to kill me. And another one says, oh, man, I'm in trouble. Somebody call my dad. It all depends on the son. Because we have a good father, a heavenly father. And if we could just walk as obedient children, as obedient sons. And he put the spirit of sonship in you. For you to cry out to him as father. This is all what discipleship is. It's to produce sons. Let's go to John chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 6 and 7 tonight. Now, I'm just laying a foundation. We're, we're, we're actually going somewhere. so, But I want us to look at Scripture different tonight. John chapter 14, 6 and 7, I've read... For years. And I just recently began to see it this way. It says that Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Notice what he says or what he doesn't say. He says no one comes to the Father. He didn't say no one comes to God. He's saying no one can come to the Father Except by me, the son. Because you see, uh, Zeke's children can come to me. And I might be able to help them, but I, I can't, I'm not their father. And Jesus is saying, you can't come to the father until you are baptized. You come through me because I am the son. You want to experience what it's like to be a son. You have to be baptized into Christ. Receive the spirit of sonship in your heart. And you have access to the Father. Amen? Amen. He's the gate and He's the way to the Father. 
And people are still looking for God. And we're like, hey, hey, look for a father. But you know what? Why do we live in a generation that hates its fathers? That's right. The enemy will do anything to create a generation that hates its father. And that's to prevent them from ever finding their heavenly father because that generation is looking for a God but not a father. And they'll find any other God except for the heavenly father. He says, if you really knew me, you will know my father as well. See, I got to know what it is to be a son so I can understand this relationship. And I can understand my heavenly father. So when I'm in need of passports or I'm in need of anything, finances, sickness, help, whatever it is, I cry out and I don't say, oh, God. I say, Oh, my heavenly father. I go to my father. And I have confidence that I'm speaking to him and he's my father. I have confidence. That's how we can boldly go before the throne of God. We go there as sons. He said, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Are we getting the picture tonight? Okay, okay, I've labored that enough. We're going to move on. Jesus is the revelation of the right relationship with the Father. And that's what he's called us to. All discipleship is to produce in you an obedient son. The goal of discipleship is for us to realize sonship and walk in obedience. Amen. When a son matures, though, he becomes a father. Yes. Where are you at, Judah? Here. Judah, you're a son. Who's your father? Now, see, that's strange. Judah's a son, but he's a father. What's your, what's your son's names so they all can hear? Titus, Benaiah, and Yosha. Three. Three. Three warriors. Yeah. Now, Judah is learning what a father is because he has children. Yeah. But he's now probably a greater son because he's got to go to his dad yeah. on how to be a father. Yeah. Amen. And so you don't stop being a son just because you become a father. But you don't become a father unless you mature. The goal is not just to raise up disciples and not just to raise up sons. It's to raise up sons who become fathers, who raise up sons, who become fathers, who raise up sons, who become fathers. And that's how you have sons all over the earth. And then our father finally gets what he was after to begin with. Having the earth filled with sons. But the problem is, is we think we're raising children. Oh, I'm just trying to raise children. 
Well, when they hit 20, they're still going to be children. What are you raising up? Look at it. I'm going to look at my life. From one years old to 12, I was a child. From 13 to 19, I was a teenager. How many of you are raising teenagers? Don't raise your hand. Put your hand out. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a prayer line. I was asking for help. <laughs> and then there's this real awkward year between 20 and 25 young adults. So I look at my life, and so I became a father at 25. Brenton's 20, so I do the math. That's why I have these up here. And so far, I've been a father for 20 years, and I'm just getting started. See, my parents didn't realize they were raising parents. That's most of our life is a parent. The, the, the time of ch- being a child is just so short. It's, it's 12 years. Then you're raising teenagers for just a short year, a few years. And then a young adult. We spend most of our times operating as parents. So when you look at your children, just understand you're raising fathers and mothers. And we're just hoping they turn out as good kids. I'll say it again. The goal of discipleship is to raise up sons who will be fathers who will raise up sons. Who will be fathers who will raise up sons. But until you see yourself correctly, uh, our actions don't change. I I called myself a son, and and I called him Heavenly Father, but I, I, I just didn't get it. To me, it was just, it was the correct answers. You know, you could have gave me a Christian test, and I probably would have passed it. I would have, oh, he's my heavenly father right there, and I'm his son. But I learned that he was my father and that I was a son at some of the most crushing times of my life. One of them is showing up in Indonesia Seeing our enemy, the opponent, and saying, God, you sent some dumb Cajun. I can say that because I'm Cajun. You sent some dumb Cajun to this land. I I don't even know English that well. Now I have to learn another language. You sent the wrong person. Man, I I don't know if I'm even Cajun anymore. I ate some Buddha and it tore me up. I feel bad because our disciples are learning uh, Cajun French English. And they don't know, they think that our English is correct. I'm like, no, my English is really bad, really bad. But seeing what we were up against, oh, man, I began to cry out to my father and say, Lord, there's no way, there's no way. And he began to reveal to me that I was a son. And then I realized... It's not my ministry. It's not even my calling. I'm a son. It's my father who said he's going to do this. 
So when the enemy say, says something, I say, you know who my daddy is? Do you know who my dad is? You know who that makes me? His son. Do you see yourself correctly? I, I hate when this happens, but my pastors will forgive me. I hate when we ask pastors to stand up, but I want to give a visual. Can all the pastors in the house stand up and stay standing until I ask you to sit down? All right. This is a visual for you. Look around. These are pastors. I'm going to ask you all to stay standing for just a couple more minutes. How many of you have been through marriage counseling? What do we teach? That the husband is the what? And? He's the pastor of his home. So why are you sitting down? Where are you at, husbands? I said, how many pastors in the house? Come on. You're not pastoring anything? You're not past. You don't have children and a wife that needs pastoring you see this is what happened to me i didn't realize i was a son until my father told me i was a son but wait we learn in marriage counseling that a pastor has a calling and god gave him a helper and her calling is his calling why are you sitting down women why are you sitting down Now look around. Look at the pastors in the room. Some of them are raising natural children. Some of them are raising spiritual children. And hopefully it'll be all all of us doing both. See, we got to see ourselves correctly. Okay, y'all go ahead and sit down. That's how I can say I'm a son and not know I'm a son. See, if I would have asked how many of you uh, have parents, you all would have had to stand up. So, how many of you are a child? Uh, you have parents. Unless there's another miraculous birth we don't know about. A father gives up his life. He's concerned about raising sons. His calling has just become to raise sons. It's not whatever they call you at work. That's not your calling. Your calling is to raise up sons. And we said this is gender neutral. When I say sons, I'm talking about children. Because you know what? If you raise your daughter right, she's looking for a son of God. Amen? And she won't go run to the world. Because she can say, I know who my daddy is. And he ain't going to like you. Where you at, Abby? 
I only got one blessing to give. First Corinthians chapter 14, 14 through 7. Do you know every problem in the church of Corinth is because they had a bunch of instructors and not enough fathers? You want to know why you have chaos in your home? It's because we're not fathering. That's why I have have chaos in my home. That's why I said I've been repenting for the last three years. Lord, I've been a deadbeat dad. I've been a deadbeat husband. Lord, you got to forgive me. As I didn't know I was a son. But if you look at this, he says you have many instructors. An instructor and a father... They're not the same. There's not an exclusive relationship there. Because an instructor is paid to do a job. I think I got it right. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, 14 through 17. It was read several times tonight. Let me go there. I might be off. I'm trying to read my writing. Uh, there's some low light here. Every problem in the Corinth church, and look, it's one of the biggest letters. They had a lot of problems. It's because he says, you got many instructors. You just don't have enough fathers. An instructor does his job based off of how well he does his job. It's about him. And he might teach something that he has a passion in, but if they don't pay him, I doubt he would show up. And so often, we want to be the best dad so they can see us as the best dad. And it's still, fathering is still about us. That's why when your children do something embarrassed, you get angry with them. You're embarrassing me. I'm just telling you what happens in my heart sometimes. Maybe you don't get embarrassed when your children do something stupid because it makes you look stupid. Look, I, I want my children to act perfect because I don't want them to know that I'm a bad father. And so instructors, they're just doing a job. They're just doing a job, which they love, and they want to be the best instructor that they can be. But... There's not an exclusive relationship there. It's still not the heart of a father. Why? Because when a father is involved, it ain't about him anymore. He's not thinking about, am I being a good father? He's more worried about his children, the condition of his children. He's praying at night, oh, father, teach me to be a father to my children. It's more based off of what he feels for his children than how he sees his own performance. A father lays down his life so that his sons can advance. That's the heart of a father. See, that's not the heart of an instructor. An instructor just wants to do his job to the best that he can do it, and he doesn't care what you go on and do. He just wants to do the job the best he can do. But the father says, son, if you don't outpace me, if you don't outrun me, then I failed as a father. 
because we that's the love we have for children. Don't you want to see them do better? Yes. And we live in a generation that in the world, the children aren't even coming close to what the parents are. I mean, they play video games eight to ten hours a day. They can't manage money. We have to provide something different. We have to show them that our Heavenly Father cares how far we go. We care how far our children go, and it's all about that. It's about raising sons. I mean, I don't have to tell you about the world. You see it. A true father teaches his son how to be a father. You're teaching them how to be a father by being an example of their heavenly father. They see what a father is supposed to be in the way you're fathering them. And they're just going to mimic what you do. They see it. And that's why we have to represent our heavenly father in every way. And if they're not your natural children, they're your spiritual children. You got to trust who God has put for you to follow. He, look, this is not non-biblical. Paul says, my son Timothy. He said, you're my children. He said, he actually told the Philippians, it's right for me to feel this way about you. I've been laboring for you. I'm thinking, Paul, you're in jail. What, What are you doing? That father is praying for his children. He says, I am laboring for you. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Because you are my children. Because Paul had the father's heart. And it changed the way Paul felt about those that were under him. But you see, the reason why we are very cautious is because most pastors today are so disconnected from their father's heart, they're just hired hands. Just hired hands. Jesus said that him and his father was one. Man, don't you want to feel that way? You know, don't you want your children to feel that way about you? And your disciples to feel that way about you? They won't hide anything from you. They, they will come to you when they're struggling. Because they feel like they're one. All discipleship is, is someone saying, come take on my yoke. It's easier. It's lighter than what you're carrying. That sound familiar? Jesus saying, come, I'm going to teach you what it's like to be a son. And then once you're a son, you know your father. It's not so heavy. I'm going to teach you what it's like to be a son. And all we're doing as disciples are saying, come, I'm going to teach you what it's like to be a son by me being a father to you. So when you raise up yours, you raise it up the same way. And it just keeps on going and going. Turn to John chapter 1. Thank you. 
Now, I'm going to revert a little bit to the King Jimmy here. Because King James uses sons versus children. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's why I put it in here. This is the only King James scripture that I've used in the last year. But as many as received him, who? Jesus, the son. To them gave he power. Let me translate that. He gave them power. To become sons. The son gave us power to become sons. Amen. Those who believe on his name. Those who are baptized into the son. Those who have received the spirit of the son. To produce in us the cry that cries out. Oh, Abba, Father. And for too long, I just cried out, Oh, God. Distant. Yeah, he's a good God. He is a good God. But I want that exclusive relationship. You know, Abraham and Moses, they could call him friend. But they couldn't call him father. You know, I... I, Buddy's one of my best friends, but I can't call him father, and he can't call me father, not that I know of. He's, he's older than me. You, you can call me daddy if you want to. As great as what they had, they didn't start out their prayers. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. That, it, that has touched me. In fact, I got this revelation by looking at the Our Father, by looking at it and saying, I must be missing something here. Because I start almost all my prayers off, Oh, God. Now, I'm like, ah, and do you know everybody who prayed for me tonight came up, started with, Father, I pray for my brother. I'm like, hallelujah. (laughs) I don't know, when you pray to your father, you expect him to hear. When you pray to a God, you're not sure if you were walking right enough for the God to answer you. That's why I said when you're in trouble... Do you say, oh, I, need, I need to call my dad? Or, man, my dad's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to Psalms 127. I'm going to share my mezuzah with you guys. You know, if the kingdom is about fathers raising children, natural and spiritual, this ought to bless you. We're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to read through 5. 
You know, you ladies should be getting really excited right now about becoming a son, about being a son. Because I'm excited about being a bride. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I don't know, I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> but if he has a bride, I want to be in it. And if he has a son, you want to be in it. Verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. This is really where I want to narrow in on verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full. See, for a long time, as my family was growing, I was like, I had another arrow. I was focused on the arrow. Arrows, 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 arrows. And then I realized, I was like, actually, the story's about a warrior. It's, you put those arrows in the hands of a warrior. You give him any arrow. If he's a warrior, he's going to put it where it's supposed to be. See, this is about a warrior who has a quiver full. Because if I don't know how to shoot a bow, a whole quiver full is really not going to help me that much. So tonight, I'm calling for warriors. Men and their wives. Who are going to say, let's answer the call. Let us figure out who we are as sons so we can raise our children correctly. As soon as we figure out who our Heavenly Father is, then we know what to demonstrate to our children. That's how you don't lose your children. You know, growing up uh, in our church, it was, this was way before LCM days. It was like this mystical thing. How do you raise your children to love God? Because the statistics don't look good. It's not some great mystery. We weren't, if you don't walk as a son, don't expect your children to walk as sons. It's all about being a warrior. And when you're a warrior, look, the Lord will fill your quiver. If you walk around and say, well, nobody has needed it. I'm not discipling nobody. I'm not. She's not a warrior yet. Find one and learn from him. And he will shoot you where you need to be. Amen. See, I learned that children are arrows. And especially this weekend, oh, I wish they were swords so I could keep them by my side. But they're not. They're not. You got to shoot them where their calling is. Oh, how I wish they were a sword I could keep on my side. Where you at, Abby and Brenton? Hey, you hit your mark, okay? You know what I learned? 
then when you're on the field and your child leaves, you've already spent 99% of the time with that child. Wow. So it's precious when I get to spend time with, with Brenton. And now it's going to be Abby. But you know what? I'm fully confident Abby will be surrounded by warriors. Amen? Amen. Submission Ministries is full of warriors. And look, they got quiverfuls. Where you at, Zeke? You're right there. Why I didn't see you, Zeke? I am officially... Handing over the title of largest family in the one association. You earned it, brother. It's yours. It's because that man's a warrior. The Lord is filling up his quiver. Come on, how many of you thought, ah, children are a burden? I used to think that children were preventing us from doing ministry. See, I told you I didn't think right. I didn't realize that if I was a warrior, the more children I had means more enemies I could take down. They're your weapons. They are not preventing you from ministry. They will validate you for ministry. I just think it's right to to talk about children because, man, you guys are filling up your quivers. And so God is, our Father is crying, where are you at, warriors? Will you rise up? Because I'm filling your quivers. See, this is about spiritual things, but it's also about natural. I don't want to raise up spiritual sons and lose my natural ones. And I don't have to give up my natural ones to raise up spiritual ones. And I don't have to give up spiritual ones to raise up natural ones. How are we doing on time? But it all starts with the Father's heart. You see, it could be... It could start off with a son's heart, but if he has a deadbeat dad, God starts off with fathers. So I'm just talking to fathers right now. And, and mothers, if you're married and you're joined in to his calling, then I'm talking to you too. We're ra- we are to be warriors, raising up warriors. Who will raise up warriors? And then you have to get a revelation of your heavenly father to father correctly. And I'm excited because every week I get a new revelation of my heavenly father in how I'm dealing with my children. I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's go to Third John. Chapter 1, verse 4. Because it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Paul who felt this way. 
I've been appreciating the books of the writing of John lately. He was such older and mature. He had been a father for a long time. I mean, when I read his writings, whether it's uh, his account of the gospel or his, his letters, I'm like, man, what a heart of a father. And he mentions the resurrection more than anyone else. But John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And look, I'm telling you, I have no greater joy than when I'm talking with my pastors and they tell me about Brenton and how well he's doing and soon to be Abby. No greater joy. None. It's right for us to feel this way. It's right for your pastors to feel this way about you. If they're doing it right, then you trust them like you trust your heavenly father because it's who he chose to show you his love. And if you think it's just you and God and that you don't need to be part of a body, you don't need a pastor, it's just you and God. Continue to be deceived because that's not what I find in the scriptures. You see, I can almost hear a groaning for the sons of God to come forth. That's what we're hearing now. Oh, where are the sons of God that will appear and set creation free? Where's the sons? They come from fathers. That's why there's such a stirring in us about discipleship. Because what does discipleship equal? Sonship. We're raising sons who will be fathers who will raise sons who will be fathers. I'm almost done. Which brings us to if if we're all sons, that makes us family. And I want to show you a little bit of our Father's heart. Can I show you just a little bit of our Father's heart? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at Father Jacob. Jacob, you all know the story. Jacob's got many uh, sons. And there's a lot of competition between them. See, they all wanted to be the best son. I know what that is. I, I wanted to be uh, the best missionary. I want to be the best everything. But it's still about me. I'm going to show you how much that breaks a father's heart. If you get a chance, I want you to uh, look at the peach story in the back because it's very much about this. It's about a peach who wants to be the best peach that he can be. And I'm not going to ruin it for you. You've got to read it. <laughs> it's a book my beautiful bride wrote. And she's been holding on to it for 10 years. 
And we decided to go ahead and get it published. So it goes along with what the Lord is doing in our hearts. So you'll be blessed by to read it to your children. And it's probably more for us as parents than it is for children. Uh, look at verse uh, 3 through 5. I got to turn there because I... These are handwritten notes that I wrote just before I came down. Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to have to go with the... See, these are my father glasses. (laughs) Genesis 37, starting in verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. I mean, that's just the plain truth there. He did. And look at this. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Oh, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Look at verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Why? Because they want to be the most loved son. They want to be the best son in their father's eyes. It looks noble, but God sees it as hate. God sees it as hate that we want to be the best. And his brothers hated him because they wanted to be the best. They didn't know their father's heart. They were more concerned about their own position. That's why as you, when you become a father or a pastor, God just starts dealing with you about yourself. That the best thing you can do is die and die quickly to self. Amen. Fathers, it's about dying to self. When you have to change diapers and you have to do all these things, I'm not... Uh, diminishing the role of the mother. But you have to give up self. Oh, yeah, guys, I'd like to come play poker, but I'm changing diapers. (laughs) People who don't want to have children, it's because they want to stay selfish. I'm just being honest. So when Joseph told his brothers his dream... They hated him more. And so they come up with a plan. Hey, look, we're going to get rid of the competition. Because this whole family is in competition. It's called the way of Cain. Instead of dealing with your own heart, you deal with the competition. Maybe Cain thought his offering would look a lot better if he just got rid of Abel and his. So So what happens is you slander people. Maybe you want to be the best ministry in town and you see another ministry, you just slander them. 
never realizing that that doesn't please our God for us to be the best. We got to get our Father's heart, and our Father's heart will correct our actions. We're going to look at it. They cared nothing about what their father cared about. They only cared about themselves. Only Reuben was willing to save Joseph. He did save his life, but they sold him while he wasn't looking. And now he's sold into slavery. You know the story. He spends time in Egypt, a lot of time in Egypt. And his family comes back because they're in need of grain. And he recognizes them. And he says, he hears the story and he says, oh, well, how about you go get your little brother, Benjamin? So Benjamin comes and Jacob sets them up. He puts Benjamin's life in danger, not just in danger. Benjamin should lose his life now because the silver cup was found in his possession. Now let's jump all the way to chapter 44. Let's read how, let's read what just absolutely tears in and transforms. Joseph is blown away. He begins to weep. What did he see? What did Joseph see? Look at this. Let's turn to chapter 44. I need to get there. We're going to start in verse 27. Verse 27. So uh, the brothers stand up and says, Your servant, my father. These are the sons saying, hey, look. The reason why he says servant, because everyone's a servant to Egypt right now. Your servant, our father. The sons are saying, uh, look, they think Joseph is Pharaoh's right-hand man. Well, he is. They just don't know he's Joseph. Verse 27. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up, With the boy's life. Can you say, my daddy has a new favorite? That's what he's saying here. Says it will bring him much sorrow. He will go down to the grave in sorrow if we lose this one. He's actually talking about his father's heart. And it's changing his actions. He says, your servant, guarantee the boy's safety to my father. He's saying, he said, I'm going to take care of him. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, 
I will bear the blame before you, my father and my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. You see, he said, I can't go home and tell my dad we did, we lost another one. I'll be your servant. I'll go and be your slave. You just let that one go back because you don't know my father's heart. He can't take another one. Is that how we look at our brothers? Is that how we look at our father? Saying, I'd rather take the worst so you can have the best. That will please my father's heart. Said, I can't go back and break my father's heart. I might as well just be a slave here in Egypt and live out the remainder of my life as a slave because I can't break my father's heart. And Joseph is seeing this. He said, wow, no more competition. They care about our father now. See, they didn't care about their father when they got rid of Joseph. They were just trying to be the best son. So all my ambition is gone. I just want to please my father. And I would rather be a slave than to see my brothers fail. I will not rejoice, and I don't rejoice, when we have issues. Because if we know our Father's heart, we see all the churches as brothers. And we don't want to outperform our brothers. We would rather get underneath and lift up. Amen. Amen. So you see how the theme is starting to tie in to this? They're now sons because they know their father's heart. And I think what God is doing, our father is doing here, can be threatened by competition. I'm just being honest. From our own desire to be the best. And I want our father's heart. You want your father's heart? Because we're raising sons. Amen. There's a lot hanging on us getting to know our heavenly father. And us understanding that we're sons. Amen. Amen. What's that word of blessing? I'm only 44. I just have a lot of miles on me. I've watched a phenomenon that is an important one. I've raised my children, some of them old enough to become parents themselves. Something like six grandkids now. And their sonship can only grow so far until they experience fatherhood. I mean, it, it kind of plateaus. In fact, that shift that he was talking about, like, I got in trouble, my dad's going to kill me, that's early sonship. 
It's the toddler still in his diaper who lies about having filled his diaper. <clears throat> you know, when you're, hey, hey, who in the room's over 50 and had kids? Okay, raise your hands. I'm not going to trick you. Brent did that. That was a terrible thing because I was tricked. <laughs> I'm definitely going to use it, but I can't do it in the one association now. So, look, think on it. You had a close time with your children when they were very little. But you don't get close to them like you really will until they have kids. Because when they have kids, they find out you're not as stupid as they thought you were. I mean, they really do. And every girl, when she's having a baby, suddenly wants her mom around. She didn't want her around between, you know, 13 and the baby coming, but she wants her around now. Hopefully the baby didn't come at 13. That's Arkansas. <clears throat> My point is that in the natural cycle, you get close to your children and you love them, but when your children become parents, something is different. There's a new level of autonomy for them, but they desire a level of interaction with you that is different. They're not trying to prove they can do it on their own anymore. For the first time in their life, they're going, I really would like all the help that I've been spurning. <laughs> Discipleship is exactly the same way. You try to teach, and we won't name any of them. Because you know them all. They're the pastors of the one association. You try to teach them when they're disciples. And they're like, yeah, 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 I got this. Like, do you know how anointed I am? <laughs> and then because they humble themselves and they really love the Lord, the Lord fires them into their work. And there's these little phone calls like, ugh. I met a oneness Pentecostal, a Jehovah's Witness, and a Mormon on the same day. I remember you were, you were talking about apologetics at one time. Like, can we walk through that again? I'm like, but I got this. Do you know how anointed I am? <laughs> Actually, what happens is now that people are dependent on them, the lesson means something differently. Okay, now you can see it with the natural cycle of children, yeah? You can see it with pastors and their pastors. Now I need you to see it with you. A message has a certain level of impact when it comes to you. You're like, yeah, you know, I, I got this. Well, I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you got this. But the point is that you can give it. So when you hear a message, it's not like, yeah, yeah, I know it. I know it. Oh, amen. Check that box. That, that's good. The question is, can you stand up right away, take the same impact of that message, and do the same thing with it that was just done for you? Do you see for us this stuff's like eating grapes? You know, it's like, I have another. Blow your nose on $100 bills, you know. I mean, it's just so cheap, so easy. What discipleship does that is different than membership, different than making believers, is it makes the person responsible for becoming what you are and more. And it is a shift 
of authority that God gave you to authority that God is giving them supervision. And the thing is, towards the end of it, when they're the most ready and they're being sent to do what they're called to do, they will want more interaction with you now that they need it less than during the early days when they needed it more but didn't know what they needed. What we want to do is raise up disciples that can create more disciples because we've had too many generations of sterile Christians. It's like, where's Pastor Slaughter? GMO Christians? Genetically modified Christians? Had your virility knocked out of you by weak inoculated messages? Nothing is required of today's church. We're going to entertain you from the parking lot to the parking lot. We're going to pad your seats. We're going to warm your baptismals. We are going to put coffee in your hand. We're going to promise you you can sit on your salvation all the way to he- I mean heaven. We do these things in our culture and we don't realize we are robbing you of what you were called to be. You are called to kick down the gates of hell and lead others doing it. And those then turn and lead others doing it. I watched Brent come into town this year and he he wants to know about the condition of his son. He's heard the reports. We've talked to him every week. He's heard the reports. He wants to go check. You know why? It's his son. He's like, I'm not sure those tires are good enough for my son. I want something different. I want to help him. I want to give him a leg up. That's how we need to be thinking about people that we say we're discipling. That's exactly it. Now, I know Brent doesn't have very much. I know because we all share everything. We don't have very much. No sacrifice is too much when you're talking about your son. That's how we have to think of disciples. No sacrifice is too much. And others can look and say, it's not wise. You don't care because it's your son. That's how we have to think about this process. And it is what it means to rush the bayonet so that your brothers can climb over you. That is what that means. Now, we're demonstrating it, and we have been for some time. But i got to tell you, the time for demonstration, it will never end in us, but it must begin in you. Okay, You cannot be in the kingdom. Uh, This is very harsh, and we're going to close with it. If you have ever read Hebrews 6 seriously, you cannot continue to drink the the rain, have it fall on the land, and produce nothing but thorns. That land is in danger of being cursed, and it's burned. The Lord is investing in you because he wants something from you. He is a father, and he cares about them all, but the oldest sons have more responsibility than the youngest sons. Do you know why? They have more inheritance. They have more investment. They have more of the father's warrior years. You're getting the very best years of the one association pastor's lives. It's <laughs> We don't know how many we get. <laughs> All right, we we don't know that. But these young anointed pastors are giving They're all. And we cannot sit back and wait for them to do it all. 
One of the reasons my sons are the way that they are spiritually and physically is because I was a young warrior. I got to tell you, every year it, it feels just a little different. I care more about transitioning it now than making sure I'm in the thick of it. That's a natural process. I'm not, none of us are ready to retire, but my sons got capable quickly because they were being raised in war. You want to know how you'll mature? You got to get out there and get in the thick of it. Now, I told you we were going to close on a harsh note. I want you to hit spiritual puberty. I want you to be able to create life. Okay? And sitting around talking doctrine is like unwholesome teenage habits. Nothing happens that's good from that. No life actually comes from it. Get out there and reproduce the kingdom. Live a life that is worth imitating. You won't have to worry about doctrine. You, you won't. Doctrine was meant to serve you. It was never meant to master you. I'll play doctrinal dodgeball with anybody in the house. If you want to lose, come see me. It'll be fine. But that's not why people have followed They have followed because we are moving in a direction and we are constantly transferring that responsibility to others because the kingdom is about what you do with it, not what a few selected men do with it. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So we're all going to ask the Lord to help us hit (laughs) spiritual puberty. Lord, we have to have souls. Not souls at some carnival event where they filled out our track. Souls that are disciples. Disciples. And God's going to do that for us. I know that he will do that for us. Because it's his desire. I know the Father's heart. Would you stand your feet also before you leave this room tonight? You know, I guess there's too many of you for all, all the... Uh, why don't you do this? As you pass Brent and Teresa in the hallway... Don't stop and tell them a 35-minute story. They're going to want to go to sleep at some time. How about you give them a high five, a quick hug, something quick that expresses appreciation for what they just did? Brent was very transparent. I've watched him grow every year, and the more weight that has been put on his shoulders, the more humble he's become. Which pastors gives us hope for all of your disciples, doesn't it? They can remain unpolished. They can remain a little bit arrogant. They can remain with that, do you know how anointed I am attitude? Because they've never actually carried any weight. They're like a 12-year-old. He still thinks he's Superman because he's never been challenged. If we will transfer weight to you, responsibility to you, you will find out that you need your father, the heavenly one and the earthly one. And it makes our relationships productive. More than that, you'll see that you're capable of being exactly like your father. That's how this works. I'm not going to yell. I'm going to ask you not to yell. The Lord can hear us good. 
he, he, he's not hard of hearing. I mean, not even a little bit. He's, he's really good at it. Like, so in a library kind of, I had a mother-in-law that was a librarian, but that's another story. In a library kind of way, let's just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost a little bit. If you recently got baptized in the Holy Ghost, this is a good chance to practice throwing that switch. Father, we have heard of your heart. Lord, we as a people repent for not having your heart. Lord, for having a competitive spirit. Lord, we, we repent for not caring deeply about the other sons. Lord, we repent for not taking seriously the command to be fruitful and multiply. So we're asking you to multiply your heart in us. Lord, we're asking you to multiply your fruitfulness through us. Lord, that you would cause a spirit of discipleship upon this crowd, that they would quickly be able to then be responsible for discipling others. Lord, without any decrease in quality, Lord, we actually want an increase in every generation of disciple. Lord, we thank you. We thank you because we know your anointing is on this very prayer. We know that this is your heart. Your word said that no one has seen the Father at any time. But Jesus Christ has made him known. Jesus, you have revealed the heart of the Father to us. We want to be the seed that dies and produces many seeds. We want that in here tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.